second to reflect on that truth that that you are the final word. And so, Father, we are resting on your shoulders, and there's nothing we can encounter that is greater than your name. And so, Father, this morning I pray that, that someone in this room will, will know that truth in a more deep way, maybe for the first time ever, or in the kids' barn. Father, I pray that you will work in this place as only you can this morning. Father, we love you. And all we can do is the breath in our lungs that you've given us, just give those back to you in praise and worship this morning for who you are. Father, we love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, you may head down to Kids Barn. Enjoy it. Have a great time. Bye, girls. fun, buddy. <laughs> well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. Glad to be here with you this morning. Hey, we are starting, uh, we started a series last week called New Routines, and uh, we're in the second week this week, and we're essentially trying to answer the question, uh, what is the lifestyle of a disciple of Jesus? And last week we talked about really the first step in our discipleship journey is to drop everything and follow after Jesus. We talked about how uh, Jesus is called teacher in the New Testament more than any other name, and a teacher in that day, in order to follow them around, you had to be the best of the best. And if a rabbi called you to follow them, you would be so excited and so honored that you would just drop everything and follow after that teacher or rabbi. Well, Jesus comes along and he changes the rules completely. He says, no longer do you have to be the best of the best. You could even be the worst of the worst and you can still follow after me. And we talked about how this is such an incredible invitation that our first response to Jesus is to just say, yes, Jesus, I'll drop everything and follow after you. And this week, we're going to talk about kind of the second step in our journey as a disciple of Jesus is transformation. Uh, transformation essentially defined is the process of becoming like Jesus. Maybe you've heard um, sanctification, this idea of turning from the flesh and being remade in the spirit. Uh, a newer term that people are using is called spiritual formation. You may have heard it called that. Um, I like the term transformation only because we're all being transformed into someone. Right? The question is, who are we being transformed into? John Mark Comer asks the question like this. He says, if you could analyze your last few years, and then plot that trajectory of who you are becoming over the next 10 years, do you like who you're becoming? And I think that's a really good question for us this week to ponder. Do we like who we're becoming? And I think we would ultimately want to become like Jesus. We hope to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. But now, to truly be like him, we cannot simply do the things Jesus did. That's part of it, but far from all of it. This is so important. 
We cannot effectively do what Jesus did without also adopting the lifestyle that Jesus lived. And y'all, until this year, I never considered the lifestyle of Jesus. I just would read the scriptures and say, okay, this is what he does, and this is what I should do as well. But it can't simply be about doing. It has to be about becoming. And for us to become like Jesus, we have got to adopt the daily rhythms, the daily routines, the lifestyle of Jesus. So we're going to process through what those are here in a little bit. But for example, see, I could go out today and for about three minutes look like I'm an Ironman triathlete. Okay, I could run really fast for about a minute. I could swim fast for a minute and bike fast for a minute. And if you came during that time and you observed me, you might say, wow, Dallas is a pretty good athlete. It's great. But <laughs> if you saw the bigger picture or maybe even just a little bit more of the picture, you would quickly find out, no, actually, he's not a triathlete. In fact, you know, there he is laying on the ground, passed out, right? Because the thing is, you cannot be a triathlete unless you adopt the lifestyle of a triathlete. Do you train like he or she does? Do you um, reject certain foods? That's where I'm out right there, right? Uh, you reject certain foods. Do you, you know, do everything to become like a triathlete? Uh, see, and I think Christians sometimes, man, we are like this. And again, until this year, I never even gave this a second thought. We can say, you know, God, I will go to church for you. I will serve you. I will tithe for you. But to actually place Jesus into every single detail and everything that we do, man, there's a big, big cost there. In our everyday thoughts, in what we do in the evenings, and all that, man, that is so much more. But we've got to adopt his lifestyle as well. Um, <laughs> in preparation for this, I thought of my daughter, Andy, uh, who is such a mess, by the way. She is such a character. Um, and In fact, if you look at the first page of these notes, you'll see uh, it got andied, as I like to call it. Um, <laughs> I think of her, uh, her life theme song, that Miley Cyrus song, I Came In Like a Wrecking Ball. That's kind of her her theme. Um, I just picture us, like the four of us before she was born, just kind of holding hands and quiet and singing, and then she just, bam, she comes in, she says, all right, quiet, time's over. But, uh, but the last three months, again, she's, she's three years old, and she, for like the last three months, has just been following my every move and trying to imitate me. Even the, like, things that aren't so good, it's like, you know, stretch out, I'm like, oh, man, and she'll go, oh, man, you know, like that. But over the summer, um, we had reading time as a family, and I'd sit on the couch, and I'd, you know, cross my leg, and then, you know, put the book in my hands like this, and she'd kind of look at me, sit right up next to me, cross her leg, put her, you know, book right there. If I kind of cleared my throat, she would clear her throat, and I mean, all the way down to when I would shave, she would go into the bathroom with me. She'd run and grab her toothbrush, and then she would pretend to shave with me and this girl at least for the time being and I'm really going to enjoy this at least for the time being she really wants to be like me she wants to become like me and that starts with those everyday rhythms and lifestyles and I think for us to truly become like Jesus we've got to adopt his lifestyles now before we get into exactly what those are there's one more thing and this is kind of a soapbox thing but I also think it's important. I really tried to <laughs> evaluate, should I go into this? But I, I do think it's important. 
I think for a period of time, we as Christians have really praised the gifts of the Spirit in people's lives over the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives. Um, so, I mean, for example, you know, if I have the gift of prophecy, of teaching, of all these things, but I don't have good character, I've essentially done nothing. And often, we'll praise, you know, a 30-minute sermon from a, a pastor and say, man, he just must be really in tune with God. But the gift, the gifting of teaching has nothing to do with whether or not somebody is walking alongside the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and having the fruit of the Spirit produced in that person's life. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says it like this, 1 and 2. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not love, I am nothing. If I do all these things that God has gifted me, but I am not daily walking in step with the Spirit to produce good fruit of love, joy, peace, and so on, I'm really just doing nothing. See, the gifts of the Spirit are not evidence that we are walking alongside the Spirit. Do we see love being produced in our lives? Do we see joy? Do we see peace? Do we see all these things? This is where we need to be as a church. And this takes time, y'all. Transformation takes time. It takes training. It takes devotion. It takes determination. And it takes all the things behind the scenes when nobody is watching in your home, in one-on-one -on -one conversation, whatever it may be. It takes such intentionality for us to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus if we want to do the things that Jesus did. So I'd love to spend the rest of our time today more specifically walking through uh, three things that we know for sure about the lifestyle of Jesus. Uh, the lifestyle of Jesus is not something that we talk about all that often, um, and there are many more things and places we can go, and uh, really, after the service, I'd love if those themes kind of, you know, come to your mind and stuff, and you want to share those with me, I'd love to process through those, but I just kind of narrowed it to three here today, and the first is this, Jesus was not in a hurry. And I, I almost didn't talk about this because it's so hypocritical of me to even talk to you all about not being in a hurry because this is one of my worst faults. Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Now, at first I thought he's being a little bit dramatic about that, but the more that I've investigated it, it's so true that hurry is such a spiritual enemy. You think about things like uh, anger is produced out of hurry. Anxiety is produced out of hurry. Lack of authentic community is produced out of hurry. Irritability is produced out of hurry. Even physical ailments at times can be produced out of hurry. Hurry is ruining our spiritual life, and I would contend that hurry is the biggest, most under-the-radar way that the world has leaked into our Christian culture. We're jamming more and more and more and more events into our schedule. But I would contend that hurry 
and love almost never coexist. The only examples I can think of is you hear the story about the prodigal son where the father is so excited to see his son that he hurries on account of love and affection for his son. But I would contend that, that if it's not on the basis of love, it actually sucks the life out of our ability to love others. And y'all, Jesus was not in a hurry. I mean, how many stories do we see? I, I just made a few notes here. John 4, Mark 10, Luke 10, Luke 18, many other places where Jesus was on the way somewhere or passing through somewhere or even specifically you see Jesus stops along the way. He's not at his destination yet, but he takes the time to stop. He was not in a hurry. I think it was John Mark Comer who said this. Um, he said, how you handle interruption reveals your true character. Man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. If we're in a hurry, if all we can do is focus on where we're headed and what we are wanting to do, we leave no margin for love in our lives. It's completely diminished and cut out by hurry. Uh, there were about 10 examples I found in the Gospels where Jesus is interrupted um, and how he handles that. But we'll just look at one here this morning, Matthew 8, uh, 5 through 7. It says this, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now other translation, uh, trans, translations nailed it, uh, say that, that this person was imploring him or interrupting Jesus. So I picture him kind of teaching, and this man just kind of bursts through the door, and he says this. He says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Now, imagine that response in our lives. Next time you're, you know, neck deep in, in work or whatever, and somebody, your kid or somebody close to you, comes up to you and interrupts that work and responding something like this, yes, how may I be helpful to you? And I mean, I, when I was writing that, I almost laughed because it's so foreign of a way that I would respond. But this is the way that Jesus responds. Jesus created margin in his heart for interruption on account of loving those close to me. And y'all, Dallas Willard was right. We have got to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives so that we have margin to love those around us. Um, there's a good book. I didn't mean to give a plug for this, um, but my wife's reading it. I haven't read it. Okay, so I just want to disclaim that uh, part. But um, John Mark Comer has a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's based on the teachings of Dallas Willard. And from what I've heard, it's really good. So check that out. Uh, second, he often, Jesus often withdrew to pray. And he withdrew to pray at times that seemed completely countercultural. That you felt like this is not the time to go withdraw and pray, Jesus. I mean, there's an example in John 6 where people are just coming to him in droves and they want to make him king, and this is the start of this big movement, and then they can't find Jesus. He's gone off to pray. 
Luke 5, 15 and 16 says this, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And you might be thinking initially what I was thinking too of, Jesus, people need your help. How can you go withdraw and pray when people need your help? But then I thought, you know what? Jesus is the most productive man in the history of the world. So next time we think, I'm too busy, I don't have time to withdraw and pray, maybe we ought to flip it around completely. Maybe we ought to say, you know what? I've got so much going on today that I can't afford not to stop and pray. This is what Jesus did. He withdrew often and prayed. Now, quickly, how did Jesus pray? Uh, what were some of the rhythms or the lifestyles of prayer of Jesus? And this is kind of what I found. Um, every time that he broke bread, he showed gratitude to the Father. He gave thanks. He looked at the things, the provisions around him that the Father gave, and he showed gratitude to the Father. I think showing gratitude will shape our hearts in a manner that allows us to think from an abundant mindset instead of a, a scarcity mindset. Uh, secondly, he also prayed with submission to the Father. Uh, he continued to pray, not my will, but yours, Father, be done. Do we have a submission mindset? And that's not a very popular mentality today, is it? It's a get yours while you can. If you can get power, if you can get leverage, go attain it. But Jesus had all power and all authority and he submitted to the Father. When we pray, do we submit to the Father, or is it our will be done? And Jesus also prayed on behalf of others. Man, even when he's dying on the cross, he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Other people were constantly on the mind of Jesus. He prays in John 17, he says, Father, that they would just be one as you and I are one. I think if we can often, often withdraw with gratitude and submission and on behalf of others, we will begin to transform into the likeness of Jesus. And the third point I have is um, the lifestyle of Jesus included a theme of seeing a need, being filled with compassion, and then acting. In Mark 6, he sees a large crowd and has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So he begins to teach them. In Mark 8, he sees that people are in need of food, so he feels compassion for them and he feeds them. In Matthew 20, he sees two blind men, has compassion on them, and he heals them. In Matthew 14, he sees a large crowd, has compassion, and then healed the sick among them. In Matthew 15, he sees that the people are hungry, has compassion on them, and feeds them. In Luke 7, and this one rocked me in a whole new way when I read over this this week. He sees this woman who has lost her husband, and now she's lost her son. And he sees that she's just crying uncontrollably, and he has compassion over her. And he just walks over there, and he says, don't cry. And he resurrects her son. 
his life is routinely centered around this idea of seeing a need, being filled with compassion, and then acting. In fact, John 3, 17 says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that it might be saved through him. The entire purpose, it's compassion, it's compassion, it's compassion all over the place. Remember we talked uh, about John 8 a few months ago, how these these Pharisees bring this woman caught in adultery, and they're trying to trap Jesus, and he says what? He says, let the one of you without sin throw the first stone at her. And they all leave, and it's just her and Jesus, and Jesus says, no one's here to condemn you, and neither do I condemn you. We talked about how the only one there who was qualified to throw a stone didn't. Are we quick to throw stones being underqualified? To throw them? Are we consistently annoyed with the, ne- the needs around us or are we available to them? Is compassion in our DNA to see those needs, to have compassion, and then act? May we be a people who see these needs around us, have compassion, and then act on that compassion. And in doing so, become like Jesus. And I think if we are a group of people, who model our lifestyle around the lifestyle of Jesus, if we eliminate hurry from our lives, if we often withdraw to quiet places to pray, and if we are marked by compassion, then we will begin the process of transforming into the likeness of Jesus. And look, it's going to take time. It's going to be messy. We're going to take steps back. But let me encourage you, keep going. Keep modeling your lifestyle after the lifestyle of Christ. And it'll be slow at times, but let me encourage you, especially with this, man, don't go back to the old ways. When things get difficult, don't go back to the old ways. Um, Quick story, last year, we made the big move from Piney Flats up to Bluff City. Um, And for a period of time, I lived in, let's see, we lived in Piney Flats for about five years, and that's by far the longest we've lived anywhere. We just keep moving around, and I don't know, maybe we need to talk to somebody about that. But um, but essentially, we lived there for five years, and after we moved to Bluff City, three or four different times, I'd be coming from Johnson City, and I would turn back on my old road. And it would be until I got to the driveway and kind of noticed that, you know, they had some things outside that wasn't ours. And, you know, I said, wait, I don't live here anymore. And so I'd turn around and, I, you know, go back. And after some time, though, I started to recognize my new home. And I think for us, we have, we are a new creation. We do not go to the old home anymore we've moved out of that place our new home is in Christ our new home is in Christ in this process of transformation it takes time we're going to turn back down the old road but let me encourage you turn back when you notice keep turning back and it's going to and it's hopefully going to be more simple for us as we go forward let me encourage you don't go back to the old ways don't go back Jesus came and met us in our old place And he said, I see the mess going around here. I still want you to come and follow me. And we've decided to drop everything and follow him. Therefore, don't go back to the old place. We've moved out of that place. 
and into a home with Jesus. And it's a wonderful, wonderful home. During this time of worship, I would love for you to consider this question. What is my next step in becoming more like Jesus? Very simply, what is my next step in becoming more like Jesus? Am I always in a hurry and it's just robbing me of my ability to love others around me? Do I feel like I'm so busy that I cannot withdraw to pray? What would it look like for us to flip it around and say, I've got so much going on today that I can't afford not to stop and pray? And is my life marked by compassion? Y'all, if we can do these things, if we can do these three things, if we can uh, make these things part of our lifestyle, we will become more like Jesus in the process. Y'all, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that your word preaches itself. Uh, we thank you that, um, that you continue to demonstrate your goodness and that you continue. Like, you don't just settle for a decision. You desire for us to come alongside of you, to mimic and imitate you and become more and more and more like you. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us adopt some new rhythms, some new routines, some new lifestyles so that we will become more like you this week. And Father, I pray more than anything that if there's anybody in this room who, who does have those old sin habits and they're considering going back, Father, I pray that you will just tell them, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back. Our new home is so much greater than our old one. Don't go back. Father, I pray during this time of worship that if there's anybody who needs to be encouraged, I pray that you'll encourage their hearts. If there is any conviction that is needed, I pray that you'll convict our hearts. And Father, I pray more than anything that you will just help us to become more like you and worship the way that you desire during this time. Father, you are so good. You are so good to us. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name.